1: Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media.
0: The story.
1: Being away from my love with my sisters and brothers that um, sometimes we couldn't see one another because we were in the same home but in a different area. And um, we moved to Rockhampton, we couldn't see any, each other there and when we came to Warabinda, that's where we were put together but in separate dormitories.
2: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Carol Major has a deep understanding of the trauma that was caused by Indigenous children being forced from their homes and then relocated. Because she was one of them. Carol was seven years old when she was taken from her mother and father and relocated to Warrabinda in Queensland. This and other experiences bred in her a hatred of white people. But God eventually got a hold of her heart and she's now spreading the love of God in Warrabinda. Today, Carol will share her amazing story of transformation as she has a chat with Eric Scatterbone. Carol Major, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Eric.
2: And you're joining us
3: today from Warabinda?
1: From Warabinda.
3: That's right. Well, we want to hear your amazing story. We have to go all the way back to your childhood. Before you were separated from your parents, where were you born and raised, and what was it like?
1: Yes, I was born and raised in Union, that's um, far west of uh, Rockhampton. Mm -hmm. So that is between Manizer and Townsville. Mm-hmm. And there I stayed there with my um, 12 siblings that um, we were there. Finding it hard, um, I had a, um, a father that was um, alcoholic mm-hmm. and my mother was a woman that had no way of um, caring for us. Mm-hmm. But um, eventually a letter was um, sent to my parents that they have going to come to remove her 12 children.
3: And that was because there just wasn't any way for your mother to support all 13 children.
1: Yeah, no, it, it, she, she couldn't do it because of my, my father that he wasn't uh, supportive um, at that time for my mum. Mm-hmm. My mum was struggling, and at that time in those times um, we had no there was no support in general um, from any organization, so it, she had to on her own try and get support for herself.
3: Okay, and then you were separated from your parents?
1: Yes, we were separated. I, I left my mum when I was a um, seven-year-old with my other siblings. We were taken to uh, an orphanage in Townsville called Tarama. And there we stayed there for um, possibly a year. And then we were moved um, down to another orphanage in Rockhampton called the Barrely House.
3: Can you go back to that day when you were separated? I mean, as a young child, what was going through your mind at that time?
1: Well, as we we didn't know what was going on, we know whether we was gonna see our mum and dads again. Where where we've gone? My elder siblings is of course there to console us and tell us we'll be right long as we're together. Nothing's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and as we was coming into we stayed in Rockhampton, camp and there and for possibly a year until the dormitory out in Warabinda um, was ready to take children, orphanage in from different communities. So the different communities would be from Palm Island, Sherbrooke and um, some other surroundings, yeah. But I came there in, came to Warabinda in 23rd of May, 1960. I came there when I was eight year old mm-hmm. And to find um been, we missed our parents from that time, and my eldest brother and my sister, they were a parent to us to mm-hmm. keep us going, and yeah, so, you know, we had we had a mother and figure mm-hmm. in our lives, and that was our, our eldest sibling.
3: And were you able to see your parents at all after that? Well,
1: yes. Um, eventually, we, we had to come back, but at that time in the Binda, um, under the Act, they um, had to... Uh, tickets or sort of like a little ticket to to come and say, Oh, where they were only allowed to stay two or three days. But in that two or three days, um we didn't even get the chance to see our parents. Um, they were on the brand of waving to us, but we couldn't love them, hold them, they couldn't kiss us, embrace us, and that oh. was a, that's so par- so hurtful part of of that just waving to our parents.
3: Yeah, so you weren't even able to touch them. Is that what you're saying?
1: No, we we weren't allowed to to go near them. Yeah.
3: Do you know why that was?
1: Um, I, I guess because of the uh, the superintendent at that time in Warabinna that made the policy and and a procedure that they had back under the Department of Aboriginal and Island Affairs at that time. But you know we we persevered. I guess with that. But coming out from school, crying to our our eldest siblings where they were going to another high school called Baralaba, and we were going to the Warabinda State School. But you know, we we come home and then just cry and cry and just waiting for our our eldest um, sibling to come home. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Now you weren't alone. There were other Indigenous children that were relocated there as well.
1: Yes, yes, there were other um, Indigenous children who relocated from Cherbourg, Palm Island, um Dhrumadji. Yeah, all, all, all surroundings that I, I can um, remember. And some of the kids that were in you know, were related, uh, relocated into the dormitory. So all up there would have been around about probably between 50 and 60 of us children there. So they had a dormitory for the boys and they had a dormitory for the girls. So that was, um, you know, so sad yeah. to, at that time. But I gradually, um, you know, made friends there with the other children. But I also that um, was yearning to 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 see my mum and dad.
3: Yeah. So was the purpose of relocating you? Was it for your good to give you a support, a home, or what? What, what was the purpose?
1: No, the purpose that uh, I like, looking back when I finished school, um, the purpose that I find that uh, if my dad was was a pure alcoholic and my mum couldn't have a Suitable home, you know that that we can have three meals a day, you know. Um, yeah. that's what my mum struggled with, mm. but the purpose that you know that that the um, the government, the child services at that time they were called, but now they are child safety now. Mm-hmm. So they came and and um, the department um, made that um, removable form, yeah, to take us, yeah.
3: And that caused. Generational trauma is that and right?
1: That's called generational trauma. I'm speaking on on what that generational trauma did to me, you know, and and um, the others um, elders that are out there, everyone that is listening to me, um, they have their their own generational trauma. How it affected them. But um, with me, there's generational trauma that with me, like being away from my mum, with my sisters and brothers that. Um, sometime we couldn't see one another because we were put in we were in the same home but in a different area. Different area.
4: Yeah.
1: And um we couldn't see one another for probably a couple of weeks in council, then we moved to Rockhampton, we couldn't see any any each other there and when we came to Rockhampton, uh, to Warabinda, that's where we were put together but in separate dormitory. Um,
3: yeah. yeah. So the policy of relocating Indigenous children sounds like it was well intentioned, but yet caused trauma.
1: Yeah, well, it, it, today, uh, for example, today, like with the, the child safety um, here and now, where, you know, the removal of children, you know, got you've you got to have a very good, legit reason right, now right. Yeah. to remove any children, you know, from their community or from their family. At that time, in back in my era, you know, we were being taken, and that's it. it
4: mm, yeah. But
1: now today, you know, um, we've got advocacy people that can um, can help through stopping the children from um, being removed. So we have our indigenous people that works in child safety. You know, is that is that advocacy and that and that connect and that connecting person that will have that connectedness between the the department and to the families, yeah. and to an organization that will support Indigenous families.
3: Yeah. So one of the outcomes of that, besides being traumatized, being taken away from your parents, and yes. in particular being taken away from your loving mother, one yes. of the outcomes of that was a bitterness toward white people. Is that right? Yes,
1: that's right. Um, when um, I left Warabinda because my my schooling was really, really High, so they sent me out from the state school at Warabinda mm-hmm. in, into a boarding school in um, Rockhampton, which is uh, formerly was um, the Sisters of Mercy, and um, there I stayed there, completed um, my year twelve. But mm-hmm. in that time, before I was doing that, my my schooling, um, there was a lot of um, racism, prejudice, um, but also there there was um, support. Um, Limited re- support from from the Sisters of Mercy, but that gradually um, came um, a, a later in a later day day in a later year, where they starting to to recognise um, Indigenous children there in the boarding sector. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah,
3: so despite a traumatised childhood, you did well in school.
1: I did. I excelled well in school, mm-hmm. but even when I was in boarding school. Um, I just picked up um, a book and it wasn't a Bible
4: mm-hmm. but
1: it was a book that I took a liking to and I didn't know what it was about but when I read it it, it was how my um, people were massacred in, in a place called Tarum, um where most of our T.O.s T.O. Is, um, is the traditional owners what they call now T.O.s mm-hmm. and that was back Back in in the um, 60s, in the 50s, yeah. So that book really um, turned my heart really hatred against white Australians because of what they done to my people.
3: Oh, so yeah. here you already had a hatred toward yes. white people because of what happened to you being separated from your parents. Then yes. you stumble on this book which talks about the history of First Nations people in Australia and the mistreatment that indigenous people have had over the years. So yeah. so now you get even more hatred in your heart. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right, yeah. And the hatred just kept going on each day, each year when I was in boarding school. Mm. Um, I couldn't mix with any of the white you know, girls, you know, that were in my grade, that was in my, my boarding section. Um, but, you know, gradually, gradually, you know, some of the, the, the white Australians, the white girls, you to come and, and make friends with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's something that I had to carry and had to live with, mm-hmm. but I was just going through so that the generational trauma of, okay, left my mum and now I'm going into school and meeting more white people that, you know, couldn't help or console me or support me. Mm-hmm. Um, I did it by myself.
2: You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scanabo is chatting with Carol Major, who's giving us an Indigenous Australian's perspective on what it was like being separated from her parents when she was just seven years old and then being relocated to Warrabinda in Queensland. We'll hear more of Carol's story when we return. The Story. If this program has
0: highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you.
2: We're back with more of Carol Major, who's giving us an Indigenous Australian's perspective on what it was like being separated from her parents when she was seven years old and how this and other experiences led to her hatred of white people. But as we'll hear, God eventually gets a hold of her heart. Now, here's more of Carol's chat with Eric Scanabo. When I finished school, and that was in um,
1: 1977, Mm-hmm. I didn't come back to Warabinda because I was at that age where we can um, come out of the, the state ward. So when we when you turn 18, you can leave and mm-hmm. and, and you're on your own. And that's what happened to me.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I went down to Brisbane, and one of my um, other elder sibling was down there at that time. So you know, there's a lot of stuff that that her and I shared and and talked about.
3: Yeah, and you were able to become a nurse.
1: I'll be able. I uh, was working in a maternal and child health field in in Clayfield and Brisbane, mm-hmm. so I've got my um, uh, a nursing. Uh, I guess a certificate to help Indigenous children. Mm-hmm. And after that, I uh, as soon as I finished that, I went back to Union to go and find my parents. And luckily, you know, luckily that they were still alive for me to to say, you know, I I don't blame them mm-hmm. for what they've done to me because if... If they didn't do that to me, if I wasn't removed from their care, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: So it had to be kind of hard to know that if you stayed with them, you would have been poor and probably not get the education that you got.
1: Correct. But yet, that's right.
3: but yet you're away from mom and dad.
1: Yes, and that's something that you know I can't take back. Mm-hmm. But it's something that we can learn. I can learn to mm-hmm. teach my children, my grandchildren. The, the history of, you know, being with your parents, um, loving them, and giving them all the support. Because today, we've got the support of different uh, families, and I guess with um, the churches. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: so was your mother able to share with you how she felt about having her children taken away?
1: My mom couldn't couldn't understand. My mom couldn't, um, she couldn't read or couldn't write. But my dad, he... he he can read and write. But he couldn't his brain wasn't focused on the children. He was just um, just drinking his life away.
4: Mm, yeah. And
1: and because of we we um were taken from him, he he's just got, you know, the worst. He just got worse. Mm. Um, thinking about his twelve children that were um, gone and will never be seen again.
3: And then you stayed in the town where your parents were?
1: I did stay there. Um, I went back there and when I finished school, finished work, I went back in 1979 and had my first child there, um, mm-hmm. my son, mm-hmm. um, Stephen, now, but um, he's now, um, he's deceased. He, I lost him in 2013. Hmm. So um, I stayed there with my parents and um, met my husband in Union.
3: And then and ironically, you moved back to Warabinda, but this time you went voluntarily instead of being forced to be there.
1: That's right. I, we went back, um, my husband found jobs, working on the uh, cattle station here mm-hmm. for the Warabinda Pastoral. And I was just um, a housewife, just staying home and looking after my um, four children now. But they all old now, they've got children of their own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, luckily for me that, you know, I just went back and seen my mum and dad just to not blame them for what had happened to us.
3: Mm-hmm. And then what kind of work did you do in Warabinda?
1: Well, when I, I was working in Woorabinda, um, I wasn't a Christian at that time, mm-hmm. but I was working as a community liaison officer in education. Um, I was um, doing a lot of um, external studies around um, building my life up around um, certificates. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to uh, bridging courses down in um, Southern Queensland, University down in Toowoomba. Mm-hmm. And there I studied, um, do bridging courses around a law degree, um, wow. doing vet, uh, doing a vet course because my children are they are animal lovers. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and also, I'm um, doing a bachelor of commerce at this stage to want I want to become a uh, internal auditor to help my family. Uh, not my family, go guess, but my my people to you know do audit audit records. You know, in the council, yeah.
3: Yeah, so you're excelling academically at this point and helping the community. But what's going on inside of your heart at that time? Was this uh, your hatred for white people at its peak at that point?
1: Yeah, the the hatred was still there, but Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't hurt so much because I was with my own people in Warabinda. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as I was sharing um, with my people in Warabinda um, and, and still see in Warabinda that we were still under the act, the Act didn't go away until in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. So when I say the Act, we were still under the the government protection, under the Act, yeah.
3: And that Act yeah. allowed the government to take Indigenous children from their parents?
1: No, the, the, the Act that was, was still there was um, to allow parents to come in to see their children, even if they were from Cherbourg or Palm Island, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. And then what finally happened to change your heart?
1: Yeah, what finally happened then, um, I started work and then I moved out of there,
3: mm-hmm.
1: moved out from uh, Queensland Health, State Education, and then I I, I, I moved in, into another area with um, Central Queensland Indigenous Development. Now, that's, that's, that's an indigenous organization that run a holistic program, and there I, I was employed there for ten years, but in that time, 29, I met a pastor. He was a pastor, named pastor Shay Taylor. Mm-hmm. And gradually, I started talking to him. We 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 used to see one another long from long distance, but we knew there was a uh, connection there, but we didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. So one day he came up and said to me, "Do you know Auntie Rose and Uncle Bill daddy?" I said, "Yeah, I know him very well." He said, well, I'm going out there to um, do some baptism of their grannies. So I said, oh, okay. I said, while well, you're out there, you might as well do my children, you know? But um, well, did,
3: did you have any belief in God and Jesus at that Not point? at
1: the stage. Not at the stage.
3: But you wanted to have your children baptized anyway?
1: Yes, I wanted to have it Wanted to have it because I thought, oh, well, if he's doing baptism for other people, I might as well get mine done. So, <laughs> um, so at that time, God didn't come in my life then. Mm-hmm. But... As we gradually um, passed the Shay and his wife Leonie Taylor,
4: mm-hmm.
1: they used to come out to Warabinda, and I used to be there waiting and ready. And we would usually have um, service down the creek at the back of my yard or under uh, a big shed. And still then, I wasn't convinced. I, I thought I was just helping past the Shay, but little did I know that um, God was working from the inside of me.
2: Well, that was part one of Eric Scatterbo's conversation with Carol Major, who's sharing her life journey and giving us insights from an Indigenous Australian's perspective. We invite you to join us again next time to hear more of Carol's story and how the Lord completely changes her life around to the point where she no longer has hatred in her heart, but is filled with the love of God. I think a good verse that really sums up what has happened in Carol's life is Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, where God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And that is exactly what has happened in Carol's life. As we'll hear next time, God broke through her heart of stone and has given her a soft heart of flesh that is filled with love for others. We'll hear how that all comes about as Carol shares more of her amazing story of transformation next time. Until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story.
1: I was a woman of hatred. I used to fight all the time on the streets in War of Winter. I used to swear. Hilt come out of my mouth. I used to blame my children for not keeping their house clean and, and all that. And then one day I sat down and I said to God, I said, Lord God, wherever you are or who you are, there must be something in
2: life better for me to do. Carol Major joins us once again to share more of how God has transformed her cold heart that was filled with hatred to one that's filled with love and joy. Carol is an Indigenous Australian who's now spreading the love of God in Warrabinda in Queensland. We'll hear more of Carol's incredible story next time. The Story...